Jewish audio on Chabad.org. So we're continuing in chapter 4, and we're up to verse 7. The truth is that to fully understand what we learned about today, we really have to kind of keep a lot of what we learned in mind in the previous classes. So Esther has a full-on meltdown when she hears about Mordechai behaving very strangely, and she doesn't understand what's going on. And she has to find the right person to send to try to ascertain the reason for Mordechai's behavior. And she finds Hasach. And we learned last week about Hasach going out to the city streets to speak to Mordechai with Neshar HaMelech. So verse 7, here's Mordechai's response. Vayagid loy Mordechai. Mordechai, he tells Hasoch eskol asher korohu, everything that happened. The ace porashas hakesef. I'm going to translate that as the story of the explanation behind the business with the money. Asher Amar Haman Lishka, which Haman had suggested that he wanted to give Alginzi Hamelech to the coffers of the king, by Yehudim laAbdam, so that he would be allowed to destroy the Jewish people. So the first big question here that flags this Pasuk is, why does it say Vayagid? Usually in, in Scripture, in the, in the Torah, it says Vayomer. It says Vayagid over here. It doesn't say Vayidaber. It doesn't say Vayomer. Haggadah almost like it's like a, a telling, something telling. And then it says, Mordechai told the whole story. The whole story presumably includes the story with the money, because that's part of the story. But that's not included. He tells us, Kol everything that happened. The ace and Parashas HaKesif. Why is that separate from the story? And why do you have to say he told everything that happened? We know what the story is. We, we, we read the story. We understand what happened. So now Esther doesn't know what's going on. She sends Asach. Asach comes and he meets Mordechai outside for the various reasons we explained in the previous class. So Mordechai tells her. Make it simple. You could even say, Vayan lo Mordechai. Mordechai answered. He asked a question. He responded. Here's your answer. Mordechai doesn't respond to Esther. Instead, he uses this very, very strong word, Vayagid. We emphasize, Eis kol Doesn't say, Vayagid lei Mordechai asher karohu. No, Eis kol asher karohu. Everything under the sun. He tells him everything. And a moment later, we add details which he clearly somehow weren't included in his Kalashar Karo. And it's as, if, it's as if as the story with the money, with Haman offering money, is like a major key part of the story which would not be really included in the story, but somehow it has to be included in the story, only so Esther will understand that Achashverosh is ready to have Haman destroy the Jews. And before we explain this passage, I just want to fast forward to go through the next two psukim. And then we'll go back to the beginning. Verse 8, And the second letter that was written, which was given in Shushan Esther. he gave to give to Esther. says Esther to show it to Esther. So first of all, he told the whole story. He told him everything. Then he told him about the money which is not included before. 
Then after this, he gave her something to show. He gave her one of the letters. We don't know why the letter is only the Shushan letter. There were letters written to 127 provinces. Why on the letter of Shushan? And then he says, Ula Hagidla, and to tell her. Ula Tzavashala, and to command her. So he tells him everything. Then he sends him, he shows him something to show her. And then he's supposed to tell her. And then he's supposed to instruct her. And she should come to the king to plead the case of Lavakesh, Milofan of Alama. She should ask for the, um, and for the welfare of her people. And then finally, verse 9, Hasach does come back to Esther. And what, the, what does he do? He again uses the word Vayagid. And it doesn't say Divri Mordechai, it says Eight Divri Mordechai. So these are the questions we're going to try to answer. These are the red flags that say to us that there's something more than meets the eye. There's something deeper going on over here. So let's go back to, to the beginning. The Yagid Loi Mordechai, Mordechai told Hasach, is Kol Asher So we have a Medrash, and the Medrash says, is Kol Asher everything that happened. He said, says the Medrash, Omer Leila Hasach, Mordechai said to Hasach, Leich Morla, go and tell her, Ben Benoi shall Karahu Ba'aleinu. This is the grandchild, a descendant of Karahu has come upon us. Who's Karahu? You ever hear of a Karahu in the Torah? The Medrash says, yeah. Hadaw Dechsev, this is what is written, and this is a verse, a Pasuk that speaks about Amalek's first attack on the Jewish people. It says, Asher Chabaderach, that they happened upon the Jewish people. So Asher Karahu, that Mordechai, should, says you should go, you should understand that, you know what happened? What happened is the child of Karahu, that this is a grandson of Amalek. Well, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. What happened is that Haman decided he wants to destroy the Jewish people. You want to say, this is, you want to talk about his motives? You want to talk about history? You want to talk about ancestry? Okay, but that, that's, not what, that's not what happened. Why, why is the matter saying that? That's, the matter doesn't explain any. First of all, why is there anything necessary to say over here? But the matter is giving us like a strange thing. The matter says, Dover Acher, in case that doesn't work for you, here's another idea. Asher Karahu Bachalom. What happened in the dream? So I'll refresh your memories that Mordechai has a dream. Mordechai is in Shushan. Shushan is Navocha. Shushan is in a situation of misery and anguish. And because there's misery and anguish, there could be no prophecy. Because prophecy can only be experienced where there's joy, where there's happiness. And there's no happiness in the city. So Mordechai cannot receive a prophecy, even though he is a prophet. So therefore he has a dream. And in this dream, Elijah the prophet comes and he tells him the whole story of what unfolded in heaven before Haman and Achashverosh sat down to seal the deal. And he tells him a story about going to the patriarchs and going to the matriarchs. And they said no. And then he went to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know it. He's not sure. And he says, check if such and such is the case. I can still do something. So the Medrash says, what does it mean, Asher Karo? He told, Mordechai told him what happened. Asher Karo What happened in the dream? What does that mean? What happened? Like, there's nothing to talk about what happened. We know what happened. What happened is that Haman decided that he was going to find a way to get rid of the Jewish people. He's going to issue a, a final solution. And he did issue it. And before he did so, he very carefully weighed his words and he spoke to Achashverosh and he got Achashverosh to give the ring. And once he got Achashverosh to give the ring and he had free reign, he went ahead and he set his plan in motion. That's what happened. That's why Mordechai tore, tore his clothes. That's why he's running in the street. That's why You know what happened? What happened is that Mordechai had a dream. Really? That's, that's what happened? I mean, you could say I had a dream also. 
And the Medrash says, the fact that it says Asher Koro is Melame, this teaches us, Shehizkir Lo Asachaloim, that he mentioned the dream Asher Cholom Bazeh, that he, he mentioned the dream to Esther. So the, the Medrash seems very strange. This is very, like, totally out of sorts. It's, it's not as if that there was a problem or an issue with this verse. It's not as if there's something that requires elucidation, something that's not properly understood. The story reads very simply. Esther doesn't know what's going on. She sends a message to Mordechai. She was living a cloistered life. She was not in the know. And Mordechai comes back and tells her, this is what's going on. What difference does it make whose grandfather, uh, Haman's grandfather is? What difference does it make what the dream was? These are the the questions which I would like to try to address today. So the Al-Sheikh has a very, very long commentary on these few psukim. Very long commentary. And he says that before I begin to explain these psukim, I really have to take a few moments to take you into the background. To explain to you that Mordechai was absolutely certain that he would be successful in his mission. And the Asher then goes on to explain, to quote the Medrash that we talked about a few classes ago, that as soon as Mordechai heard the news, he went into the street and he saw a few children and he ran after the children. And he said, What have you learned in Cheder today? And the children told him. One Pasuk said, And the other child said, that said that the ensuing verses, each verse speaks about the concept that Hashem loves the Jewish people, that there's hope for the Jewish people, that Hashem will forever embrace the Jewish people. And when Mordechai hears these words, he becomes very happy. And Haman watches this whole exchange. And he sees and he wants to know why Mordechai is happy. And we learned, part of what we learned actually was taken from the Alshech. The Alshech explains the verses in great detail, explains why these are verses of certainty and surety, and why here this bolstered Mordechai's confidence to know two things. Number one, yes, we can succeed. Number two, we have a big battle to fight. But it's not a battle with Haman or Isis. It's a battle with the Jewish people, a spiritual battle. That if we get the Jewish people to do tshuva, if we get them to become the recipients of Hashem's grace and Hashem's salvation, everything's going to work out. And the Alshach says that is a critical component to understanding these verses. Why is that a critical component? Because the, 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 the term vayaged indicates that there was something that Mordechai spoke very forcefully. He didn't simply relay details. He was saying something. We know that the word vayaged comes from the terminology of kosher kegidin. It means sometimes things which are harsh. He spoke harshly. He spoke forcefully. He spoke strongly. When people relate a story, it's not a question of, of, of har- harshly or strongly. A story is a story. Whatever happened, happened. Like what the news used to be. The news used to tell you what the news is. Today, the news tells you what you should look, the way you should look at events. <laughs> it's a, it's, everything is commentary today. Everything is an editorial, even when it's not called an editorial. You don't read news anymore. You read a slant on news. So Mordechai is not simply telling Esther what happened. Mordechai is explaining the circumstances and the situation to Esther. Vayagad le Mordechai. Mordechai tells Hasoch, is kol asher karohu. Like the Mamloya says, he takes a look at Hasach, he looks him up and down, and he says, okay, he, this man is going to understand. Who is Hasach? You remember we learned last week? Hasach is? Daniel. He says, okay, Daniel, he's going to understand what I'm going to say right now. And because he's going to understand what I'm going to say right now, I can, I can be open with him, I can share with him exactly the way I'm feeling. And that's, and that's how Mordechai begins the entire conversation. 
Mordechai does not simply relay the matter of fact. He didn't need Hasak for that. If there's something going on in town, you figure out what's going on. What bothered Esther? What bothered Esther is the fact that her uncle, who she knew to be a highly intelligent, highly focused, highly balanced, highly normal person, now tore his clothes and is running in the street, streaming like a lunatic. And, he, and he's doing things which are endangering his life because when you come in front of the palace compound and you're wearing torn clothes, or even worse, you're wearing sackcloth, you're basically making an announcement that the king is dead. Because that's the only time in Persian law that you're allowed to dress that way. You're mourning the king. And you're doing something which is literally, you're playing with fire. And she immediately sends clothes to Mordechai and he refused to put on the clothes. So Esther is not asking what's going on. She could find out what's going on from somebody else. She knows that this is not a question if something happened. She needs to understand how Mordechai is reacting. Why is Mordechai behaving this way? If Mordechai needs something in the palace, he knows exactly where to go. He sends Esther a text message, that's all. Well, if not, he makes up to meet with her. Mordechai has been communicating with her all along. And now, not only he refuses to communicate, he refuses to accept the clothes. He's acting like a, like a crazy man. And he refuses to stop acting crazy. That's why with Tzachal Chalamalka. Esther understood there's something very, very big going on here. So she had to choose the right person, as we explained in great detail last week's class, why she chose Asach. She couldn't choose the other chamberlains. The Sarisi HaMelech we're not going to do here. She needs to find the one person she could trust to find out what's really motivating Mordechai. What is this all about? Mordechai doesn't tell her the story. Story is a story. Mordechai tells her what's going on here. He's going on, there's, there's, there's a background here. He said, this is not an event that happened out of nowhere. First of all, he said, there's a deep history over here. Understand that you're dealing with Hamalek. That you're dealing with Ashakarahu. That this man, Haman, is Hagogi. Haman is Tzayrat HaYehudim. He hates the Jewish people. And the most important message, Ma'am Leia says is, Haman will come with all reasons of why he hates the Jewish people. Mordechai didn't bow. Mordechai didn't bow. That's a good reason to kill all the Jewish people. Minarva Azzokin, Tafanoshim, killed from the senior citizens to the toddlers, killed the, the, the men, the women, killed the whole nation. Why? Because the rabbi won't bow his head. Some people actually could construe that to think, oh, that's the reason. And actually, Asher Karahu, so the Vilna Goran says, Pirush, Shabba al Yedei Mashalei Kara. That Karahu is a play on the words Kara, even though Kara is with a Chaf and Karahu is with a Kuf, but it sounds the same. It's not similar etymology, but nonetheless, there's a, a similar ring to it. He says he didn't bow down. In other words, Mordechai has a certain element, if you would say, of guilt over here. Somebody would say that. And Haman says it. Haman says, who is that man who doesn't bow down to me? He wants to destroy Mordechai. Not just Mordechai, he wants Am Mordechai. He wants to destroy the nation of Mordechai. That makes no sense. Because one man doesn't bow, you're going to kill millions of people? So obviously, Haman saw something in Mordechai who wouldn't bow. Something that tipped him off and made him realize that there's something about this person that I can't stand, that I hate. And not only I hate him, I hate all of his people. Haman had this epiphany. He said, ah, this is the Jewish people that my ancestors have been nursing their hatred for without a stop for the last few centuries. This is who they are. These are the people who will never bow their heads in submission. These are the people who will always cling to their faith. These are the people who will stubbornly remain Jewish regardless of what happens. And even when they stray and they assimilate, they'll always come back to it. I'll never get rid of the Jewish people. 
if I don't set some kind of final solution into motion. Asher Karahu, yeah, he's gonna say, he's gonna tell you a story that it's because I didn't bow. Understand, this is Ben Bnoi Asher Karahu. This is Amalek. When you see naked anti-Semitism, don't say they earned it. The Jews brought the enmity upon themselves, as Jews so often do. They self-flagellate and they blame themselves for everything. And they didn't do this right or that right, the other thing right. Understand that this is plain, simple, naked anti-Semitism. How many Jews blame the circumstances in Israel? The Jews are being obstinate. The Jews are being uh, stiff-necked and stubborn. If only Prime Minister Netanyahu would just give Europe what they want. If only he give the White House what he wants. If only give the UN what he wants. Why does he have to frustrate international effort so much? After all, all they want is to bring peace and brotherhood and serenity and security. And everybody knows that if just if the Israelis would cut off half of Israel and give it away to the monsters, then the rest of the monsters would all go home, go to sleep and be happy. We'd have no problems whatsoever. And everything is Israel's fault. It makes no sense. Well, you say it makes no sense. A lot of people buy into it. A lot of Jews buy into it. Nothing has changed. So what you need to know is that this anti-Semitism, this bias, this hatred to the Jewish people, we didn't earn it. It's not because of something we did. How, how is Netanyahu supposed to make peace? Well, anybody in his right mind knows has gone on in the last few years? With who? It makes absolutely no sense. Because as much as the world changes, it doesn't change at all. Asher Korahu, you have to know what's going on, my dear friends, is not something that can be viewed in isolation. It has to be viewed in the continuum. This is a continuum. We are not a new people. We are not, Israel is not 70 years old. We are an ancient people. And there's a continuum that goes all the way back to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And when we left Egypt, we were attacked by a people called Amalek for a reason that we have nothing to do with. Because Amalek couldn't stand the fact that the Jewish people were triumphant and they managed to come out of Mitzrayim and they're now going to get the Torah, Amalek attacked. And Amalek attacks later when we want to go into Eretz Yisrael. And when we come into Eretz Yisrael, the mitzvah we have to do is get rid of Amalek. Because if we don't get rid of Amalek, Amalek will come back to bite us. And it did. And another thing Mamaloya says, and the, the, the Al-Shech emphasizes, is that your grandfather, Esther, has something to do with this. Your grandfather, his name was Shaul HaMelech. And he was supposed to destroy Amalek. And he didn't, he almost did the job, but he left Agag. And because he left Agag, he came, Agag impregnated a woman. And that woman ran away. And that Agagite is Haman. So this is your moment. The first thing that Esther needs to understand here is that she has her moment in destiny. That the all of Jewish history is upon her shoulders now. That's not something that happened last week. That's not an event that took place in Shushan. That's the first thing Mordechai says. Furthermore, now Mordechai has to tell her, tells Hasach. First he explains to Hasach. He doesn't tell Hasach exactly what to say. You'll see Hasach is a very smart guy. He gives him the general idea and Hasach Daniel has to go back to Esther and convey the message. He explains to Hasach what's going on here. So first of all, this is an ancient problem. This, is, this has to be viewed in the, in, from a perspective of, of historical precedence. Number one, Number two, the Medrash tells us. He told them, He told him the dream that he had. What is the point of the dream? The point of the dream was that Eliyahu Anavi came to Mordechai and he relayed to him. And I'll repeat it, we, we learned this a few weeks ago. He said to him that we have a problem. And the problem is that Samuel, the archangel, came before Hashem 
and he said that the Jewish people aren't keeping the Torah and they have abandoned you and they put their faith in nobility and in ministers and in monarchs and they don't even care about Hashem anymore. And when they're worried about the security, they went and they participated in the Sudasish Lachashvedash. They turned their back on Hashem. The Achashvedash was prancing around in the coin Gadol's clothes that didn't bother them. They were eating off the vessels of the base of Migdash. It didn't bother them. They made a mockery to everything they said a short 70 years earlier when they were led into Bavel from the land of Israel in chains, bleeding and broken. They said, he said, we'll never forget Jerusalem. If we forget Jerusalem, we shouldn't be able to make music. If we forget Jerusalem, our, our tongues will cleave to our palate. That's what they said. But that was 70 years ago. And now 70 years later. And now many have assimilated. And now many have intermarried. And now many are living amongst other peoples and they've achieved success and now they're Persians. And when Achashverosh stopped the construction of the Beis Hamikdash, there wasn't a hue and a cry, and Jewish people didn't say we have to rail against this and we have to demonstrate and we have to go there to solve this. It will be part of Persia. The Shushan is a Jewish city. It's a Jewish city. The Al Shuch says it was there was a larger Jewish population than most cities, like New York. The Jesse Jackson famously called Haimitan, if you remember, the anti-Semite. It's a Jewish city. The Jews had influence. Mordechai sits in parliament. The queen is Jewish, and people maybe even know about that quietly. Jewish people are part of finance, they're part of technology and science and the arts. And Achashverosh invited them to a state dinner. And it's going to be Shabbos. Okay, he walked. Well, you could walk. There'll be a few TV dinners in Manashevitz wine. Okay, it's lousy wine. People will laugh at you. And they came there and they said, you know what? Such a big Aveda. We have to, we have to look. Menschlich, well-heeled. Civilized. Everybody's drinking wine. We'll drink wine also. It's just one time. Everybody's eating food. It's basic. I know, but you know, we have to be, we have to be diplomatic. We have to make peace. We have, we have to be okay. So Samuel came before Melech Machem Lachem and he said, the Jewish people don't keep your Torah anymore. Kaloya, it's finished. Get rid of them. They no longer yearn for Yerushalayim. They don't want the base of Migdash. They don't care about the fact that they're in Golis. They're perfectly complacent with their reality. And Akadish Baruch Hu agrees. That's the Medrash. That's the dream. That's what Eliyahu Anavi is telling Mordechai. And Eliyahu Anavi himself goes running to the Ovis. He goes to Hebron and he says, Wake up, you sleeping ancestors. Look what happened. Your people are being destroyed. Avraham Mitzvah Yaakov said, what, what, what happened? What did they do? Eliyahu Anavi says, this, They did such and such. So, so they said, What do you want from us? So, so they gave away the birthright. They, gave, they spurned their legacy. The others are patriarchs. They didn't come to our defense system. When the base of Middlesbrough was destroyed 70 years earlier, the others, they, they shook the heavens. God didn't listen to them. The Imoyas shook the heavens. Only Rachel Imenu was able to obtain pardon. Only Rachel Imenu. And who is the grandmother of Esther Hamalka? Rachel Imenu. Because she's from the tribe of Binyamin. And Binyamin is the son of Rachel who passed on just before she was buried, right there at, on the highway, where the Jewish people brought, she brought their entreaty and their prayers to heaven. So the Jewish people are not, are not interested anymore. They said, we, we're, we're fine. It's okay. So, you know, Eliyahu never went to Moshe Rabbeinu. And we're repeating things we learned already. Moshe Rabbeinu said, what's going on? How bad is it? Why did he come to Moshe Rabbeinu? Because Eliyahu and said it's a battle against Amalek. Who's the first one to battle the Amalek? Moshe Rabbeinu. What's Moshe Rabbeinu's question? 
so that I can stay up there in Davim. I can raise my hands in prayer. Moshe on the mountain or Moshe in the heavens. Say Moshe Rabbeinu. The Moshe Rabbeinu who did what he did when he was terrestrial alive, Moshe Rabbeinu continues to live and he continues to have an influence. But he says, I need boots on the ground. Who's my man? Elio and Navi says, Mordechai is your man. So Moshe and Mordechai get together. And that's the dream. And what's the dream? The dream is that Moshe Rabbeinu promised he's going to daven. And if he's going to daven, he's going to, he's going to do his part. What's Mordechai's part now? Mordechai's part is the boots on the ground part. But this time not to battle Amalek. This time, what does Mordechai have to do? He has to wake up the people. How does Mordechai do that? By acting crazy. By acting crazy. Sackcloth. Torn clothes. If, Moshe, if Mordechai would give out a, send out a tweet, everybody come to base, base Medrash now, I'd like to give a sermon now. Who would come? He'll send a telegram. It's a very important sermon. Send us an email. You know, do a recording. So Mordechai had to do something totally outlandish. He ripped his clothes off. He ran in the street, screaming and yelling. And even the people who didn't really care much about Mordechai and rabbis, they see the rabbi Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. They came around. Rebbe, what's going on? What happened? Oh, and Mordechai started to tell them. And it touched them. Because he did something so outlandish, so off the walls, it shook them to the core. And now he has to go to Esther. And Esther has to know there's a major problem. So if he comes to Esther and he just sends her a Facebook message, you know, he's not going to take it seriously. Mordechai is doing now the same thing he did, and this is like we learned last week. A total meltdown. So Esther sends a message to Asach, find out what's really going on. Mordechai, boy did he tell him. You ever hear this question? I told him off. That's Vayaged. Mordechai tells him like it is. Or does he tell him? It's Kolasher Korohu. Do you understand what's going on over here? The Jewish people are now at a, in a in terrible situation. With a major juncture. This is a, this is a watershed moment. And we have a situation over here. It's Kolasher Korohu that Amalek is alive and well. Amalek has come back now to finish the job that he started. Rahman al-Islam. And you should know that this whole business is all about a heavenly decree. It's not about what's going on on earth. But don't worry, he explains to Asach. Moshe Rabbeinu is on, he's on the game. Moshe Rabbeinu is on it. And Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be davening. We just need to get the Jewish people to do tshuva. And we need to do the things we need to do. So he tells him furthermore, it's Parashas HaKesef. What's Parashas HaKesef? So the first of all, the Alshech says, Parashas HaKesef is, he says the first thing, this is going to go back a few classes. Do you remember what we talked about? The idea of the shekels? that Haman gave, which were counterbalanced by the shekels that the Jewish people gave. Do you understand what's going on here? He says, Haman tried to give shekels, but don't worry about it. We gave shekels first. Our half shekel, our donation to the Mishkan, our contributions to the Beis Hamikdash, that's going to counterweight the balance of Haman's shekolot. That's first of all. That's along the same lines. Mordechai. Mordechai says, Moshe Rabbeinu is on the case. Elio and Navi is on the case. He gave money. We gave money. We have a chance. We can do this. And furthermore, don't think, oh, it's a problem. You buy him off. <laughs> it's not going to work, Parashas HaKesef, this time. Says, my you're not going to buy him off. Why not? He doesn't even care about money. His hatred is so deep, Ahasuerus could care less about the Jewish people. Haman offered all kinds of money. What did Ahasuerus say? It's fine. Keep your money. I don't even need the money. So this is not going to be a buy-off. This is, this is not going to be, there's not going to be a simple way to do this. What we need to have 
is a major, major situation, a major shakeup. And here, Mordechai then takes out the letter. Now that we know, he says, Look inside your Megillah. How, do you, how is the word Yehudim spelled? Yehudim is spelled with two Yuds. And the obvious question is how come sometimes in the Megillah it's spelled with one Yud and sometimes in the Megillah it's spelled with two Yuds. So the Bible critics tell you, eh, this chapter was written by this person and that chapter was by that person and they, they cobbled it together and it's shoddy work and they, we told you the Bible's full of Narishkeit. But do you know that any ninth grader that's handing in an assignment who would spell things one way on one page or something wrong on the other page, you're amazing, they had a bad grade. Like, how stupid do you think the people who wrote the Bible were? I'm saying from the Bible critics. We don't, we don't believe in this Narashkeit. This is godly. This is divine. This is Nevoah. So, so that, the, the premise that this is mistakes that fell into the text, sometimes two yuds, sometimes one yud, is simply illogical. It's unacceptable. But the message is being conveyed to us. What's the message? The message that's being conveyed to us, the Rebbe once said, goes like this. The Friedrich Rebbe explained the words in the Megillah by quoting a story of the Tzemach Tzedek. The story is that there were two people who were Jewish. They were brought up like nice Jewish boys. They went to Cheder. They did all the mitzvahs. And then they got smart. They became enlightened. They became attracted to the new reality of German Jewry, which was assimilating, being welcomed, being allowed to go to universities. They could be Yehudi Adam You'd be a Jew at home, be a human being when you walk outside. Nobody you will do away with anti-Semitism. It's only because Jews look different and only because Jews just like a, like a, 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 a in the, sticking it in everybody's eye, you know, like a, like a, a splinter in the eye. That's the problem. If only Jews could be civilized, we could make the Jewish people normalized and they could be like everybody else. Whatever you do in your house is your business. That's nobody's business. And that's where the Enlightenment began. And everybody knows that the bitter end of the Enlightenment led the Jews of Germany and led the rest of the Jewish people. And the founders of the Enlightenment have no Jewish grandchildren. And that itself says a very profound thing. So the Enlightenment came along and they, uh, they attracted these two Russian boys and these two Russian Jews became enlightened. And they decided to make a mockery of the Rebbe de Tzemach Tzedek. What happened? One of them dressed up like a woman and he came to the Tzemach Tzedek to ask a bracha for his pregnancy. He came, put on a dress, maybe believe he's, said the, if they say the Rebbe has ruach ha-kodesh, he's a holy man. Nothing could come in here, said the woman. came in and said, hey, what's a bracha for his pregnancy? So the Tzemach Tzedek took a look at him and he said to him, do you know why it says Yehudim with two Yuds when it talks about the Jews of Shushan? By Yehudim la'abdam, because this is the Paschagin Aksav Ashnitim b'Shushan. Why it says, and other times it says with one Yud. Do you know why? So the man, the man who is playing as a woman said, no, I don't know why. So the Tzemach said, I'll tell you why. Because the Gezeira, the decree, was against all Jews equally. Haman didn't hate religious Jews. He hated all Jews. And the Jew who didn't look Jewish and the Jew who didn't act Jewish, he was going after him with the same fervor and the same hatred. Unfortunately, we saw that in Germany. didn't make a difference. They didn't care if you had payas or not. They didn't care if you made Kiddush. And he said to him, you should know that when the Jewish people were spiritually awoken by Mordechai and they did tshuva, everybody, everybody, the Jews who were previously committed and the Jews who were unaffiliated, and non-connected, they also did tshuva. And he says, a yud, a yud represents the number 10. 
And everybody knows that there are, in the Kabbalistic jargon, we talk about Eser Koichas HaNefesh, that the soul is comprised of ten powers. And there's a very interesting Pasuk in, in the beginning of the Torah when it speaks about the formation of the human being. It's found in the second chapter of Genesis, verse 7. It says, Vayitzer HaAdam. Vayitzer Hashem Alikimus HaAdam. God crafted, created, formed the person Ofer Min like dust, took dust, earth from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life. This this collection of dirt, this 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 mound, all of a sudden became a living, breathing creature, and this is how humanity is created. So the obvious question: Why does it say vayitzer with two yuds? Say vayitzer with one yud. And there's a number of different answers. And the Talmud Yerushalmi says that that there was Bshimim ben Pazi taught that the two yuds represent the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Hara. In the language of Reb Shimon ben Pazi, Oili miyotzri im loyakaya mitzvahs. Woe is to me for my creator if I won't fulfill mitzvahs. Va'oili miyitzri. Woe is to me for my Yetzer Hara. Hamanasa lahachti. Who doesn't stop for one minute to try to get me to sin. In other words, that a Jew has loyalty to Hashem. That's one yud. That's yotzri, my creator. And then there's yitzri. Then there's my evil inclination. My natural slothfulness and selfishness and anger and frustration and ego and all the other bad things that the animal soul brings, the capricious greed, the, the evil nature that, uh, that every one of us has inside him in different forms, that everyone has his own special little Yetzirah, his own demons that he has to battle. And the Shurim Pazi says that's Vayitzah, Vayitzah with two Yuds, because we're talking here about two sides of a person. There's a number of other different answers, but this is, this is, this is the answer that Shimon and Pazi gives. So the Tzemach Tzedek said that there was the Yetzirah Tov Jews and the Yetzirah Hara Jews. The Yetzirah Tov Jews are spelled by Yehudim. What is a Yehudi? A Yehudi is somebody who denies idolatry. He's Kaifer Baveda Zara. He acknowledges that there's only one force and that's Almighty God Himself. Like the word hoidoyo, which means to bow your head in submission, to acknowledge, like somebody says, I admit I'm wrong. Animode. And then we have this concept of by Yehudim, with two Yuds, that some of the Jews, they weren't just Yetzirah Jews. Godly soul Jews, Nefshali kiss Jews. They were Yetzirah Jews. They were more interested in the conclusions they would draw. They were more interested in their own ideas, in their own ideologies. They were not ready to listen to a Torah or to revelation or to rabbis or to, to inspiration. So don't tell me this narishkeit. We're not interested in that. We know we've got to take care of ourselves. We have to be our own self-determination. We have our own personal destiny. And we don't need to worry about Jewish tradition and the Torah was given at Sinai. We, have, we follow the other Yud. Guess what happens to that Samach Tzedek? Those other Jews... Not only was it a decree against them, they did tshuva too. And the Tzemach Sadiq said to this fellow, and when you will have to deal with your challenges, you too will do tshuva. The man left Tzemach Sadiq's room, and a short while later he fell ill. And he was in his, literally on his deathbed. His whole kishkas were coming out. He wanted a brach of his pregnancy. His whole kishkas. And slowly he started to have a bit of an awakening and epiphany, and he became a football tshuva. And that was the story that Tzemach Sadiq told him, the two yuds. Even the Yetzirah Jew will also come back. Tzemach Tzedek said, when you will realize, you will also come home to Hashem. And he did come home to Hashem. What then is the point? The point then, the point then that's being made, that Mordechai explained to Esther, that this is not just a decree against Jews who didn't listen to Hashem. At the end of the day, we're in this together, my friends. There's no such thing as, oh, they're the bad Jews. That's not, that's not my problem. 
I worry about my community. I'm, I'm from. I don't care if they're from people. I'm, I'm Orthodox. So worry about, you know, ah, these people has lost Jews. It's not, it's not on my agenda. No such thing. To Haman, there was no distinction. And to Mordechai, was no distinction either. As Rabbi Sachs famously says, that Hitler hated down the Jew in hate. Every last Jew, regardless of where he came from. And the Rebbe's response was to hunt down every Jew in love. And this is the story of Bayahudim. And that's the message that he tells Asoch. He explains to Asoch, Asoch should understand that this is a decree by Yehudim Abdom. What Haman seeks to destroy is the very existence of a Jewish people. He doesn't just seek to destroy Torah mitzvahs. Ultimately, he doesn't want to be a Jew that's alive. This was Hitler. This was exactly what Haman's great-grandchildren, which by the way, Iran and Aryan is the same etymology. Google it. It's the same word. Same exact thing. This is what Hitler wanted. This is what the, their, their cousins in Iran want today. They say they fight Zionism. They say they fight this, the other thing. They can't stand the existence of a Jewish people. That's what it's about. And that's by Yehudim. And here's another interesting teaching about the word Karo before we move on to the next Pasuk. The Rebbe says that the word Karahu can also be understood as what happened to him. Karahu. Happened to me. Happened to me. Mordechai could have saved himself. First of all, Esther's the queen. He could take refuge in the palace. Number two, he's a parliamentarian. He probably would have some kind of diplomatic immunity. He could have saved himself. But Mordechai didn't think about himself. Who did Mordechai think about? He thought about the Jewish people. He thought about everybody else. Not only did he think about everybody else, his response was as if it was him. When a person doesn't feel that their life is on the line, that it's something that touches them, it's a problem, it's an issue. For somebody else it's an issue. It's a problem out there. I'll do my best. I'll be somebody who is concerned that there is a problem. Mordechai didn't say there is a problem. He said it's my problem. There's an incredible story that's told that before the communist revolution, the czars, no big tzaddik in the czar, and at one point, the czars wanted, the czar Nikolai wanted to destroy the Jewish people from within by legislating the kind of laws that would necessitate teachers who were not Yerushalayim, who didn't care about Torah and mitzvahs. You had to have like a degree in something. A degree in those days meant that you were not an observant Jew. They said the only one who could teach Jewish children, he's taking care of the Jewish children, that they should become normalized, they should be mentioned. So they made such a decree. And that if the rabbis won't agree that the state will sponsor 101 pogroms because he's worried about the welfare of the Jewish people. He's so worried about the welfare of the Jewish people that they're going to make 101 pogroms to protect them from themselves. So there was a Sifus Rabbanim. The greatest rabbis of the time came together. And amongst those rabbis were the Chafetz Chaim, Rechaim Moise Grodzenski, Chaim Brisker, famous names. And the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe was there. And, and when they got this message, the government found out, there were informants, the government found out that the rabbis were debating coming out with an open war against the czarist decree. And they sent a message. Just know what you're doing. If you come out with your statement, you make your press release, 101 pogroms. Imagine what a pogrom is. You saw Fiddler on the Roof? That's not a pogrom. <laughs> they, they, they tell a story that once a comedian he went with his mother to Fiddler on the Roof. She grew up in a shtetl. He figured it'll take her along. So she saw Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. It's a marvelous production. He says, Mama, it's like, this is the shtetl you remember? She says, yeah, yeah. But I don't remember them singing so much. <laughs> the pogrom is not... Uh, and Fiddler on the Roof is a very nice pogrom. Okay? The pogrom was not pretty. The pogrom was rapes, 
A program was, was stabbings. A program was burnings. A program was murder. Children ripped apart. Terrific thing. The rabbis heard this. They, they felt like, who could take upon himself? How could you fight the government? The government is threatening to do such a thing. So they, they each one got up and he, and he spoke. This is a terrible thing, but it's, you know, sometimes we have to find a way to live with terror. And they, they, kind of, they said things, but didn't say things. They spoke, but didn't speak. They were afraid. And the last one to speak at these meetings was the Rebbe Rashab. His, his was the final word, even though the Chafetz Chaim was much older than him. Rebbe Chaim Briska was older than him. They held him in such high esteem that Rebbe Rashab was the last one to speak. I know this firsthand because the, one of the people who was at that meeting was, was, was a friend of my great-grandfather who told my grandfather the story. He was there. He saw this. He saw this happen. And he saw how the Rebbe Shah was held in such esteem. So the Rebbe, Lubavitch Rebbe got up and he said, he said, our Nishamis were never sent into Golis. Only our body is sent into Golis. And it's true that when we're in an exilic reality that sometimes our bodies are tortured and sometimes in a material way that those who could dominate us but nobody has the right to torture or dominate a Yiddish Nishama, a Jewish soul. And he said, the, the, the Neshama did not go into Golis. And we will not allow anybody else to educate our children. We will not allow anybody to rob them of their legacy and their spiritual inheritance. And we will continue to teach Torah in a pure and unadulterated way, regardless of what kind of laws are enacted. After this meeting, the Rebbe Hashab was, was arrested on the spot. And he was placed under house arrest in his hotel. The news spread like wildfire. The Chaim of Risk decided to pay a visit to the Rebbe. And he came in and he got permission. They frisked him, whatever they did. And they allowed him in to go see the Rebbe who was under house arrest. And he came in and he saw the Rebbe Rashab weeping bitterly. So he said, Lubavitch Rebbe, Miram Gitan, Altsas Miram Gikent. It's Lubavitch Rebbe, we did everything we could do. So the Rebbe Rashab said to him, Yo, Ab Miram Nishmat given. But we didn't succeed. And he went on to say that there's two people working in a store. Maybe in a business. I don't know the exact words he used. One person is a clerk. He's paid for a job. He works from 9 to 5. And the other person owns the business. And the business isn't going so well. So the person who's a clerk, salesperson, whatever, he's just there, he works, he comes. The business is not going well. This is a problem. It's not good. You don't know where your job is going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if the business is going to survive. You work from 9 to 5. You put your whole heart and soul into it. It's 5 o'clock. You go home. What are you going to do? You did your best. They said, the owner of the shop never goes home. The owner of the business doesn't turn off the business at 5 o'clock. He eats it. He sleeps it. He takes it home. It never leaves him. He doesn't say we did everything we could do. And they explained why he was crying. He said, if I have a job to do, yeah, I did everything I could do. But he says, it's not a question of doing a job. It's a question of this is me, this is us, this is, it's not somebody else's children, it's my children. And if it's my children and my children are being torn away from the Torah, how can I be complacent? How can I not cry? How can I not weep? That's what the Rebbe Rashab said. And that, my dear friends, is the meaning of this Pasuk, Asher Karahu. The Rebbe didn't connect it to the story. That I'm connecting it to the story. But the Rebbe said, Mordechai could have survived. He could have saved himself. But that didn't matter. It was never about what's good for him. Mordechai wept and Mordechai yelled and he screamed and pounded on the table as if his own life was in danger. And by the way, because he was so sincere, because he really felt that was his life, 
That's why he was successful. Because Kimayim Hapanim, the way water reflects a face, came Lev Ha'adam. When you're sincere, when you mean it, Mordechai didn't make believe. He really had a meltdown. He really lost it. And when the Jewish people saw, he really lost it. And they knew that he could save himself. They knew that he didn't have his life on the line the way most of them did. This inspired them. This stirred them. And this is what has to hear. Esther has to hear. Esther can say to Mordechai, don't worry. Uncle Mordechai, I will have you spirited away. You'll become hidden. I'll hide you in the palace. Mordechai said, who explained to Hasach? This is us. This is me. This is you. This has to touch us as if it's my life. That's the message. This is what, this is what Mordechai tells Hasach. After Mordechai tells this to Hasach, then we go to verse 8. And then the second letter, which was given out in Shushan, he gave him. What's up with the second letter? So the second letter was, the second letter is explained by the commentaries. The first letter was that he sent out a message to all of the people living throughout the provinces of, of, of the Persian Empire. Be ready for this and this day. Be ready. Something big is happening. Right? Like we talked about in the previous class. Don't schedule any parties. Don't, don't, don't have, you know, cancel the golf games. Make sure there's no opera. Something big is happening on the 13th day of Adar. Something big. Everybody got to save the date. But in Shushan, in Shushan it was open. In Shushan it was clear. The Shushanites, because it was a very Jewish city, and that's what the Medrash says, that, that, that the, the Shushanite, the Persians were taunting the Shushanite Jews they would laugh in their face and say, soon I kill you and take all your money. This is what the Jews were facing every day in Shushan. Because in Shushan, Haman felt comfortable. He didn't have to make any secrets. He felt he could put the cards on the table. So what happens is, Mordechai got a copy of that letter. And he gives Hasach a copy of that letter. He gives him the letter. He says, look at this letter. He says, shows us, I'm giving this to you. Why am I giving you the letter? He says, Laharis es Esther. I want you to show this letter to Esther. Why is he wanting to show this letter to Esther? So the, the, the Alshach explains. He says, because that's the case, he says, first you show it. Don't tell her the story with Eliyahu Hanavi. Don't tell her Moshe Rabbeinu is on the case. Don't tell her that this is a spiritual thing, we have to do tshuva. So then she'll say, oh, it's a spiritual thing, so go do tshuva, what do you want from me? At the same time that it's a spiritual thing we have to do tshuva, Esther has to play her part 100%. Yes, do we believe that Tehillim is meaningful? 100% it's meaningful. Do we believe that Jewish people doing tshuva makes a difference? Of course it does. At the same time, the IDF has to have the best weapons and the best training and the smartest strategy. It's not a contradiction. That's the way that Hashem gave us. We have to work with nature. And both have to be done at the same time with the same full absolute effort. He says, if you're going to tell Esther a dream and a Leon of the Moshe Rabbeinu, okay, she says, what do, you, what do you want from me? He says, the first show her the letter. And when you show her the letter, it's going to shake her up. Because, as the Ma'am says, you know, there's a big difference between hearing and between seeing. It's a big difference. He says, when she's going to see in front of her face, then she's going to understand that this is business. Haman means business. Now, Esther also was being told, Asher Karahu, he said, he said, one final beautiful teaching, which Amalaya says, the word Karahu, which is connected to Amalek, and is also connected to Kor Chabaderach, Kor Chabaderach means 
happened on the way, which is the same Hebrew word for? It's kedach. Ice. 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 Icy indifference. Amalek was indifferent to the Jewish people's fame and fortune. They were unfazed by it. Uh, Esther is going to hear the Jewish people abandon the Torah. She's going to say, it's finished. Right? We talked about Mizel, Mazev, Mizel. It's talking to the Luchas. So Mordechai says, listen, it's not that they're passionately opposed to the Torah. They're careless. They became indifferent. Indifference is a terrible thing. But indifference is not nearly as bad as when they're afzolachas, as we say. Dafke. They're not dafke. They're indifferent. The Golas has had a terrible effect on them. It cooled them off. It removed their passion and ardor for Yiddishkeit. So, so this is the message. Esther has to know, on one hand, the Jewish people are not lost. They could do tshuva. They will do tshuva. Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be davening. Eliyahu and Avi's on the case. It's all going to happen. But at the same time, Esther first has to be shown this letter so she understands that this is very serious business. And Mordechai tells her at this point that you should know Then you'll tell her the whole story. And after you show her this letter, which is going to really blow her mind. And then you'll tell her the whole story. Then it's Letzavah Mordechai gives a command. What do you mean he's giving a command? A command? Up until this point, Esther was told, never tell anybody who you are. Do not divulge your identity. Mordechai says, now's the time. Now you will divulge your identity. And another very, very difficult thing is going to happen now. Up until this point, Esther was not held guilty for any of the prohibited intimacy she was involved with. She had no choice. She had no choice. She was coerced. She was forced. She didn't go willingly. Now Mordechai says, now you have to go willingly. And you have to dress as provocatively as you can. And you have to do everything to capture your husband's attention. And Esther's like, I can't do that. She's at Sadekis. How can I do such a thing? And Mordechai says, you have to do it. In the words of the Bamloyas, Do not think for one moment that when you go that you're doing an Aveda. Adarabha says, he says the Mamloyas. Mordechai told her. Mitzvah This is a great mitzvah. It's the mitzvah of Hatzalus Nefashas. You are going to save the Jewish people. And there's a precedent for this. There's a woman whose name is Yoel. And Yoel was the wife of Hever Akeni. And Yoel went to do Sisra. Sisra was the general who was at that time massed armies against the Jewish people. And she did it L'Shem Shomayim. And she killed Sisra. And she turned the tide of the battle. And the, and, and, and the Novi says, Tevarach Benoshim. The woman should be blessed like Ya'al is the, is the epitome of a blessing. The most righteous of women. most righteous of women. She seduced a, a, a general. A Himmler, an SS uh, general. That's, that's righteous. Why did she do it? To save the Jewish people. And sometimes you do something which is not orthodox, it's unorthodox. But for the holiest purposes. But you need a debit to come and tell you to do this. <laughs> you can't, people can't decide that it says, oh, I'm going to do unorthodox things. I'm just a, this is not for, when Mordechai commands you, then you know you, you, you do what you have to do. She says, he shtadli liyafes atzmech, beautify yourself as much as possible. Lameid ba'ifen shamelech yira isach, the king should notice you, be as provocative as you can, get his attention. Because this is such a difficult decree. And it's no, you have to speak to the king himself. Now, always, the king has people around him. What's the one time the king has nobody around him? Hey, that night when he spends time with his wife, when he's, when he's intimate. So he says, that's the kind of one-on-one time you need to get. You need to be alone with him. And only when you're alone with him. And certainly not when Ahman Arash is there. Certainly not when he's there. And that's what he says. Let's love 
El HaMelech, to come to the king, Ula Hizchanan Loi. It's like two different things. Come to the king. He commanded her. The Pasuk says, Ula Tzavay Saleha, Hasel Tahasach, command in my name, that you should go to the king, and then Ula Hizchanan Why don't you just say, Ula Tzavay so Mordechai says, no, 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 you can't, this is not simple. This is not a simple thing you go and you have a conversation. This is, has to be a very private affair. This, you have to do everything you can to make sure that nobody else is there. And then when nobody else is, not by accident, exactly, you know exactly what you're doing. And then when you have him all there by himself, then you have to levakesh milfan. If you have to beg, and the Mamloya is quoting our sages says, betchila, the beginning, tevakshelatzmech. First you beg for your own life, which is what Esther does. This is exactly, this is Mordechai's strategy. And then, of course, my Esther, who would touch my Esther? Achashverer says, he says, not just me. Then he says, when he, when he, then you speak, then he says, when he agrees, then you go and ask him in front of Haman. Then in front of Haman. So Haman should see, so Haman shouldn't say, start saying bad things about the Jewish people. And then Mordechai crafts a very, very careful strategy over here. And you'll ask for your people. Levakesh milfanov. Milfanov, he says, is means in front of Haman. Not in front of the king. What's milfanov? Love elamelech lishan and loy. What do you have to say lefanov? So really you have to read into these words. Love elamelech means that I asked her has to make this terrible decision. Willingly go ahead and try to be as attractive as she could. Try to get Ahasuerus' attention. And lishan and loy in private. And once you buy him and win him over, then levakesh milfanov. Then you'll make sure that Haman is there too, because Haman will start to spin all kinds of webs. Do it in front, and Haman's right there. And with this, Tiski, your marriage, Shabnei Yisrael, Yikru Amech, they will be your people forever. Esther may have been a Persian queen, but she does not live on in perpetuity as a Persian king. She lives on in perpetuity as Esther Hamalka. She's our queen. Every Jewish girl wants to be Esther Hamalka. Everybody wants to dress up as Esther Hamalka. One of the greatest heroines, one of the most common names amongst the Jewish people. Till today is Esther. Shezacha Moshe, which Moshe merited to be called Raya Yisrael. Do you know why Moshe Rabbeinu merited to be called Raya Yisrael, the shepherd of the Jewish people? That's his epithet? Because he was Moshe Nefesh. Because he sacrificed himself. And Mordechai is telling Esther that she will sacrifice not her material life, but the greater Moshe Nefesh. She will sacrifice her soul. She will sell her soul literally, sacrifice her soul that once she goes to Achashverosh willingly, there's no hope of ever going back to Mordechai, no hope of ever being rehabilitated with the Jewish people. The greatest sacrifice of all time. Everybody celebrated Purim and eventually went back to Israel. And who got stuck in the palace with Achashverosh? Esther Hamaka for the rest of her life. The greatest sacrifice. And this is what Mordechai is asking of Esther. This is big stuff. This is very heavy, very intense. Now we understand why it's Vayagid. And now we understand this Kalashakarohu. Now we understand this Parashasakesef. And now we understand the Pashege Naksov with the Shushan. We know why it has two Yuds. We have so many ap- appreciations of the word Asher Karohu. Now, if you understand all this, now says, verse 9, Vayave Hasoch. Hasach came, but Hasach is not just any any bumbling idiot. He's not just a messenger. Hasach is Daniel, and he got it. He understands the profundity of Mish, of Mordechai's words, the full depth, the the breadth. He understands what Mordechai is asking. He knows how intense the situation is. He gets it. All Daniel needs is a, ca- a casual conversation. That's enough for Daniel. Daniel gets everything. 
And that's why he is a key player over here. Because if not for Hasach being able, if not for Esther finding Hasach and knowing this is the one to trust, if not for Mordechai knowing this is the person I could trust, and then he should be sent and he goes back to Esther, the story wouldn't have happened. And so indeed, we read Vayavah Hasach. Hasach came. And what did he do? He didn't just convey the words of Mordechai. Vayaged. The word Vayaged shows up again. He told it to her. He, he really gave it to her. Vayaged Lester, ace divrei Mordechai. Vayaged Lester, ace divrei Mordechai. What does this mean, ace? Says the Mamloya, is whenever you have an ace, it comes the rabbis, it comes to include. He pl- added plenty of things by himself. He didn't just say over Mordechai's words. He explained Mordechai's words. He further emphasized Mordechai's words. Bola rabbis. And all of this, Hasach did, lezorez esester. To inspire her, to en- engage her to make sure that she would realize how serious of an event is about to unfold. This is like the whole weight of Jewish history on the shoulders of this poor woman, of poor Esther. She is bearing the weight of Am Yisrael on her shoulders at this moment. And Hasach, well, only like Hasach could, because Daniel, he told it to her, says, Ma'am is, he says, listen, I was in the street I couldn't. We couldn't even speak openly. We were having, we were making believe a casual conversation. But I understood everything he said. And the Mamaloya is quoting our sages says, He further fully articulated the words of Mordechai. He explained to her the difficult circumstances of the Jewish people. And that's it's hard like a root, like, 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 like a, it's, it's a certain hard roots called, um, um, not ringworm, maybe it is ringworm. It's a certain roots in the ground which are very, very hard and bitter. He gave her the whole bitter pill. He explained to Esther the whole bitter truth. There's no way to sweet talk this. There's no way to, to make this feel any nicer. This is the full, harsh, horrid reality. And that's Divrei Mordechai. You asked, now you know. Now we understand what the Pesukim are saying. This is very intense. It's very heavy stuff. Ah, well, we're going to read. We're going to get to that part of the story. But now we know that the story with Esther making one meal and a second meal, that whole, this is Mordechai's strategy. Mordechai and Esther, so to speak, working together over here. And the amazing thing is we see that on one hand, we believe that the spiritual impact of the Jewish people's tshuva makes all the difference. But on the other hand, every possible action to defend the Jewish people must be taken, even if it requires the greatest sacrifice, even if it requires sacrificing our soul. Forget sacrificing our bodies. The Jewish soldiers who ate and drank and defended Israel in Yom Kippur in 1973 are great heroes. The Bali Mesidus Nefesh. Not just because they put their lives on the line. They put their souls on the line. And that's absolutely required and necessary. Yeah, we need to, those who can, those who are not on the battlefield, have to daven and learn and do tshuva and do all those things they have to do. But that does not mean we say, oh, well, it's God's going to take care of things. That's not the way it happened then. It's not the way it should be happening for us. Israel needs to use and muster all of its abilities. Everything it has in its arsenal. From the, from the diplomatic to the, to, to, to the military strategists. From every, everything has to be mustered. But at the same time, you can't sit this one out. So oh, they have a problem. Asher who This has to touch you. And you need to understand that both, both are absolutely necessary. And when everybody does what he or she could do, then we know that Hashem will bring us salvation in Mitzvah Hashem.
So now you'll absorb this incredibly intense message that Esther receives, this bombshell, and next week we'll hear what's Esther's response.